and uh, in our prayers. It's lovely, really lovely to be with you this morning uh, and to see you uh, for uh, ourselves. I'm also very, very impressed that you have your own glitter ball. Um, that's marvellous. And uh, that's an idea I'll certainly take back with me uh, to uh, St. Neots. I think we shall try and get one of those for ourselves. Uh, Richard has, has prayed, but uh, I'm going to pray again. Uh, it'd be good for me to pray again. Uh, so uh, let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll have a look at the Bible together. Uh, Father God, we uh, thank you very much indeed that you are so uh, good to us. Thank you that you're a God who speaks. Thank you that you speak to us through your word. Uh, Please, Father, as we hear you speaking this morning, help us not to harden our hearts against you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, There is uh, an old uh, saying... Uh, A man is known by the company he keeps. Uh, A man is known by the company he keeps. Uh, We might say that you can tell a lot about a man uh, from his friends. And the point is, who we choose to associate with uh, says something about us. Who we choose to mix uh, and spend time with says something about us. It's It's a kind of general observation on life, but actually, as you think about it, it... It contains a a note of caution. Uh, People uh, rub off on us. Uh, A a parent uh, might warn their child to be careful about who they uh, mix with, about the the, the friends that they uh, have. They don't want them to get caught up with the, the wrong sort of people. A man is known by the company he keeps. Now what what if we were to take that lesson uh, and apply it to the Lord Jesus. What, what, what would we learn about him? What would it teach us? Well, the answer is both a wonderful surprise and an outrageous scandal. A man is known by the company he keeps. We're, we're, uh, you're looking at Mark's Gospel, and uh, the big question in these early chapters uh, is, uh, who is Jesus. And as you've been working your way through, I'm sure you've seen this. One of the things that immediately stands out is that Jesus oozes authority. He oozes authority in everything that he says and everything that he does. And last time we saw that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. Well, this episode that we're looking at today, it follows directly on from that one. Uh, and what it does is it drives that lesson home uh, for us. It's the second of a, a series of events in which Jesus faces growing opposition from the religious leaders. And over the next few weeks, uh, I'm sure you'll see that opposition uh, growing gradually. And the big lesson for us this morning comes right at the end of the, uh, the episode, uh, there in verse 17. Just have a look. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Remember what we said, a man is known by the company he keeps. After healing the paralysed man, Jesus leaves the small house and he heads for the lake, the, the Sea of Galilee. And once more, a, a large crowd 
uh, gathers. And Jesus does what he loves. Uh, he does what he came to do. Uh, Jesus teaches the crowd. Afterwards, uh, Jesus spots a man called Levi. Look at verse 14. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now you may remember that that's not the first time that Jesus has done something like that. Uh, just uh, flick back uh, a page to uh, chapter 1 uh, and verse uh, 16. The setting is just the same. Mark says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. So when Jesus sees Levi and calls him to follow him, we, we've seen that before. But there's something different about this time. Now, I, I ought to say that Levi is also known as Matthew. It really wasn't uncommon in the New Testament for people to be known by different names. But the thing about Levi is that he's a tax collector. That, that's what he's doing, sat at a tax collector's booth. Now, for all that you and I might make jokes about the tax men, tax man, but being a tax man or woman, it's a, it's a fairly respectable job to have. We might make sarcastic jokes, but that's about it. But, but in, in the time of Jesus, tax collectors, they were, they were social outcasts. That they, uh, they tended to use their position to cheat uh, and to steal. Worse than that, that they were collaborators. That they worked for the enemy, the Romans, who occupied the land of Israel at the time. And worse even than that, well, the Jews, they were looking forward to the day when God would defeat the Romans and re-establish his kingdom. And that meant that the Romans weren't just their enemy, well, they were God's enemy. And that meant, in the minds of the people, that if the tax collectors sided with the Romans against the Jews, they weren't just siding against them, they were siding against God himself. They were traitors to the nation, yes, but they were also traitors to God. And therefore, you see, people didn't just make sarcastic jokes about tax men. They lynched them. And Mark says, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. There's something else as well here. Just, uh, just compare verse 13 with verse 14. Do you, do you notice anything there? Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. Levi got up and followed him. Now, what do you notice? Well, in verse 13, Jesus goes out beside the lake and a large crowd gathers and they listen to him teach. 
Now, where is Levi while that's going on? Well, as far as we can tell, Levi is not in the crowd listening to Jesus. Levi is sat at his tax booth. He is more interested in collecting taxes than he is in hearing Jesus. And yet, as Jesus walks back from the lake, he sees Levi, he sees this tax collector, this social outcast, this cheat, this collaborator, this traitor, this man who's not really interested in him, or at least seemingly not really interested in him. And he says to him, follow me. What did we say? A man is known by the company he keeps. And Mark says, Levi got up and he followed him. Just like that. This is yet another reminder of the remarkable authority of the Lord Jesus. Mark doesn't tell us whether Levi had met Jesus before, nor does he tell us whether Jesus said anything else in the course of their little exchange. The point is, Jesus calls Levi right there and then to abandon his tax booth, leave everything, and follow him immediately. And that's exactly what Levi does. Mark says, Levi got up and followed him. Now, very simply, let let me ask you, what do you make of that? What what do you make of a man who who has that kind of authority, who makes that kind of impact on people? What what do you make of him? In verse 15, the uh, the scene changes, uh, and we find Jesus now in, in Levi's house. Sharing a meal. Verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, notice it's not just Levi and Jesus sharing a meal together. They're joined, Mark says, by many tax collectors and and people who Mark calls sinners. That's a kind of a way of talking about the wrong sort of people. Jesus is having a meal with Levi and all the wrong sort of people. And Mark wants us to see that there's not just a few of them there, there are many people. Do you see how he underlines that? Twice he says, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. In other words, when Jesus saw Levi sitting at his tax booth on the way back from the lake and he said to him, follow me, that that wasn't a one-off. That wasn't an isolated incident. That was absolutely typical of Jesus. Levi is exactly the sort of person that Jesus is looking for, the kind of person that he's come for. What did we say? A man is known by the company he keeps. And here's Jesus with Levi and all his mates having dinner together. Now there's something, there's something significant, isn't there, about having dinner with people. We know that from our own experience. If we, if we share a meal with someone outside the work situation... If we share a meal with someone, the chances are that those people are either our family 
or, or they're friends or well on the way to being friends with us. We, we eat with people that we, we care about. Now in Jesus' day, sharing a meal with someone was even more significant for them than it is for us. It symbolised acceptance. It symbolised intimacy and unity together. The other thing here is that the the Jews, they they had all sorts of very strict food laws. Uh, They were laws that kind of marked them off and separated them, made them very distinct from other people. It wasn't an easy thing to to share a meal with someone who was a a Jew. And yet here is Jesus having dinner at Levi's house with many tax collectors and sinners. And notice how Mark phrases this. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Kind of feels like Jesus is the one who's taking the initiative here. This isn't a kind of surprise party that Levi has sprung on Jesus when Jesus wasn't expecting it. Jesus, the way Mark tells it, is the real host. Jesus is the one who is responsible for the guest list. What did we say? A man is known by the company he keeps. What does that tell us about Jesus? Clearly not everyone approves of what Jesus is doing. Look at verse 16. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he doing that? This is the first time that we've met the Pharisees in Mark's gospel. Now, if we're we're at all familiar with the gospels, then we know that the Pharisees are what you might call the the bad guys uh, in the story. But actually, that that really wasn't how they were regarded at the time. The Pharisees were very pious Jews. They, They rigorously kept God's law. They were devoted to God's word. That they were everything that the tax collectors weren't. They were generous and respectable. They were pillars of the community. They they were true patriots. And they believed that if God really was going to restore the kingdom to Israel, that then the people as a nation must live in a state of, of purity. And so they urged their fellow Jews to adopt the purity laws that in the Old Testament were reserved simply for the the priests. That they they urged the people to be pure before God. And therefore it's not surprising that when we see Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, they ask the disciples, what is he doing? Why is Jesus compromising himself by eating with them? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? If a man is known by the company he keeps, then in their minds, Jesus' behavior, Jesus' choice of guest, raises very serious questions about him. It casts real doubt on Mark's claim that this Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. After all, what? What sort of God would sit down and eat a meal with 
with his enemies. Jesus explains himself in verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, the fact that Jesus is sharing a meal with tax collectors and sinners, it it tells us everything about him. That the point is, Jesus, this Jesus, the one who Mark claims is the Son of God and the Messiah, this Jesus, he came for sinners, for people just like this. And that is why the gospel, that, that message at the heart of Christianity, that is why the gospel is such wonderful good news. Because the gospel is a message of, of grace. Grace is, is a gift of love that we simply don't deserve. Grace means that God accepts people, not because of who they are or what they've done. God accepts people because of Jesus. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Just notice two things about that. Notice the surprise of grace. The surprise of grace. Many people think, and it, it, maybe that you're one of them. Many people think that Christianity is only really for people who are good. It's only really for people who are religious. And the first thing that Christianity says to us is behave. Behave, be good. Uh, Go to church. Uh, Try harder. Pull your socks up. That's the kind of message it sends out to people. Uh, And when you're good enough, when you reach that, that kind of required level, then, then God will accept you. Then you can come in and sit down and eat with him. Can you see Jesus came for for sinners? He, He is the son of man who has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so what do we find him doing? We find him calling us to come as we are and follow him. The the wonderful surprise is that God doesn't accept us because of our performance. As you'll see as you work your way through Mark's gospel, he accepts us because of Jesus and his performance. Someone has said that only in the gospel do we get the verdict before we get the performance. If you think about it, in, in every other religion... In every other walk of life comes to that, that the, the verdict always comes after the performance. It always depends on the performance that you put in. So just to give you a kind of uh, an example, uh, Grace and I did a, a local park run uh, yesterday, uh, and it's that five-kilometer run. If you were to say, how did it go? Well, the answer would depend on the performance, wouldn't it? If we, if we came at the end of the field, if our time was the slowest we'd run... I guess we might say, well, actually, not very well. That the verdict depends on the performance. If your boss calls you in for a, a, uh, an annual appraisal at work, the verdict that she might give you depends on your performance over the year. Only in the gospel does the verdict come before 
the performance. Uh, only in the gospel does the Son of God say to us, I love you. Come in and have dinner with me. Now love me. That's an extraordinary thing. It's a wonderful surprise. Jesus came for sinners. He came for people who don't fit in. He came for people who'd made a mess of their lives. For people who, who actually, let's be honest, aren't really interested in him until they actually meet him for themselves. He came for liars and cheats and traitors and backstabbers. He came for people who are his enemies. He came for people like me and you. This is the surprise of grace that uh, Jesus calls us to come as we are. He, he won't turn us away because we've not hit the required standard. And yet, and yet that doesn't mean that he's happy for us to stay as we are. Although Jesus calls us to come as we are, he, he doesn't leave us like that. He, he accepts us in order to change us and transform us. And you'll hear more about that as you work your way through Mark. But this is the surprise of grace. Jesus came for sinners. That's wonderful news. Jesus came for sinners. A man is known by the company he keeps. Notice too the scandal of grace. When Jesus says it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill, he's not implying that some people are righteous and they don't need him. Jesus likens himself to a, a doctor. And the point is, as long as we think we're healthy, or our condition is so minor that actually we can treat it ourselves with perhaps with something that we pick up from the pharmacy. As long as we think like that, then we're never going to go to the doctors because we don't think we need to. If we were to go, if the doctor were to perform their tests, we might discover just how ill we really are. You see, the truth is that actually we all need Jesus. Not just some people, but all of us. We're all ill. We're all sinners. We've all said to God, I don't want you to be my God. I, I, I want to run my own life my own way, and I don't want you poking your nose in. The only difference is that some people are ill and they think they're healthy. Uh, others... Others are ill, and they know it. Ironically, those, those of us who've made a mess of our lives have a real advantage here. It's easier to admit what we're really like. That is the scandal of grace. That, that is why the Pharisees in particular were so offended by Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. His, his grace undermines all their good works, all their efforts at purity. It, it renders them meaningless. 
Can I say that if you, if you are here this morning and you have been trying to make yourself good enough for God, you've been wasting your time. Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Question for us this morning is will we admit that that is what we are? Will we admit that that is what we are? What did we say? A man is known by the company he keeps. That the fact that Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners, it, it tells us everything about him. So as we draw to a close, let me, let me ask you a question. How do you react to his grace? Is it a wonderful surprise? Or does it seem like an outrageous scandal? If you feel a sense of outrage within you, be careful. Be careful. As, as we work our way through chapters 2 and into chapter 3, we'll see that the, uh, the Pharisees' outrage hardens and it intensifies. Until by verse 6 of chapter 3, that the Pharisees are so outraged by Jesus that they, they side with their enemies and they plot to kill him. Be careful that your outrage against Jesus doesn't become a settled hostility towards him. If you see a sense of wonder, be thankful. Be thankful for Jesus. Be thankful that this is what he's like. Be thankful that this is the kind of company he keeps. Be thankful for the Son of God who sits down and eats with sinners. Maybe that for the very first time this morning you have heard him calling to you through the pages of Mark's Gospel. If you have, Right here, right now, get up and follow him. Well, one of the marks of those who do follow him is that we long for others to experience his grace just as we have experienced it for ourselves. We long for others to come and sit down at the table and, and eat with him. Don't you find it striking that apparently the very first thing that Levi does after meeting Jesus is go and invite all his friends to come and share a meal with Jesus? Maybe that like Levi, when we first started to follow Jesus, we, we longed to introduce him to our friends. Sadly, over time, that desire can often weigh Perhaps we, we lose contact with our friends. Perhaps uh, church activities kind of start to consume all our time. Perhaps we find it too uncomfortable to spend time with people who aren't Christians, who live differently to us. Perhaps someone's even warned us against spending too much time with people who aren't Christians. Can you see Jesus came? For sinners. That's why he spent time with them. And it's the same for those who follow him. 
We need to spend time wisely, yes. Appropriately, yes. But we need to spend time with sinners. Let me encourage you as you start out as a, a church family together to give yourselves time and space to spend time with people who are not yet Christians. Don't let so many church activities come in and crowd out that time that you could spend with people who don't yet know the grace of God. What did we say? A man is known by the company he keeps. A man is known by the company he keeps. When it comes to Jesus, that is both a wonderful surprise and an outrageous scandal. Uh, in a moment, we're going to have a bit of time on the tables to, uh, to think about that together, to, to talk, to see if there are any questions or comments we've got, uh, and uh, then we'll have a time where people can share those uh, all together. Before we do that, let me pray, uh, and uh, then we'll talk. Dear Father in heaven, as we, uh, as we sit here this morning and, and reflect on this episode with Jesus, we want to thank you. Thank you very much for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he came not to call the righteous, but that he came to call sinners like Levi, like his friends, like us. Uh, Father, thank you that the, the gospel is a wonderful message of grace in which the verdict comes before the performance. Father, we thank you for Jesus and for the grace that he offers. Please may that grace take hold of us and shape us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, you have a, a time to, uh, unless you're Christoph, to talk on your table with people. <laughs> I uh, understand that you have a bit of time where you can kind of feed in and chip in and make comments, ask questions, that kind of thing. So uh, over to you. If you have any, uh, anything you'd like to say, anything you'd like to ask, uh, now is your opportunity. So the question was, in Mark 1, we've got um, uh, Jesus calling the fishermen to follow him, and we do, uh, and, uh, and 
and yet with Levi, Jesus calls him to follow him, but then he also goes back to his house as well. What, why does Jesus do that with Levi and not with the, the others? I, I guess the thing is, we, we don't know that he didn't, uh, in that Mark is selective about what he includes. Uh, so Mark has, has particularly included this incident with Jesus going back to the house of Levi for a reason. And I, I, the reason is because that whole setting, including the meal, including <clears throat> being together with those people, sends out a very clear signal to everyone at the time that this is the kind of people that he wants to be with. Um, these are the kind of, the, they're exactly the kind of people that he has come for. Uh, and that, that whole setting just drives that home for people. Um, so... Would Jesus have wanted the, the, uh, the, the family of the, the fishermen to kind of come with him? Yeah, of course he would. Um, but actually, I think Mark is recording this to drive home that lesson that he, here is exactly the kind of people that, that I want. I, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the ones that everybody would sideline. Is that? Yeah. Anything else? Thank you. That's a really good question, thank you. Uh, who are the unrighteous uh, today? Um, I, I, I think, mm, I think it's a really good question. I, I, I would want to say both of those. So, so the, the big application of verse 17, the big lesson for us must be that uh, we, we all need a doctor. Uh, and the doctor is there for those who recognise that. Um, and uh, whether I appear to have a life that is sorted or not, actually I still need him. Um, I, I guess the, the, the particular application of the passage is that we, we, we don't want to avoid people that others avoid because they're too far gone or that he wouldn't want them. Um, is that... Do you, know, do you know what? We don't, we don't want to embarrass them at all. Um, Richard and, and Sandra have been in contact with some of the folk from the traveller sites in St. Nits. I think for those of us who come from St. Nits, it's a great example of uh, people who uh, uh, local folk may be slightly suspicious of because they're travellers and because travellers have a bit of a reputation. Um, uh, uh, but actually recognising uh, that Jesus came for, for them just as much as he came for us and going and spending time with them. Um, I, I, yeah, without wanting to embarrass them at all, I, I think that is a great example of that. Yeah. I think 
think subconsciously and psychologically, I think that when people come to Christ, then we come here and we leave other things behind. Yeah. And I think we then join the church, if you like, of Christ. Um, and we can want not to be involved with that old life, yeah. which in a sense is right. Yeah. Because a lot of that old life was wrong. Yeah. But this is very helpful and challenging because of what the Lord does. He deliberately goes out to mix with people that are not followers of God. Yeah. You know, they don't love him and they're in the dark, you know. Um, and I actually find it helpful what you said this morning in terms of, because I keep asking the question, how do we evangelise? Mm. And it's not about getting people into meetings, it seems to me. It's more about us making friends with people, yeah. befriending people that perhaps we don't always have that much in common with. Because in fact, Jesus didn't have much in common with Levi in a sense, you know, on, on the human level. But it was that love that he had for him. So I, I found it helpful. Mm. Thank you very much. Yeah. I, I, I guess so. Um, kind of building on that, there are opportunities that we all have uh, in the course of normal life to build contact with people, aren't there? So even aside from the specifically going out with that intention, actually you think about if you, if you always go to the same uh, shop, for example, and you keep seeing the same person serving you, you, you have an opportunity there to build a real contact with someone, to treat them perhaps in a way that other people don't treat them, to be, to be grateful for the work that they do, not to take them for granted, to see them as a real person. And, and those, those little things over time, who, who knows what the Lord might do with that kind of contact with someone. And I, I think it's, it's going into our everyday life with that kind of intention behind it, um, going back to the same garage again and again. Uh, when we get the car service, because gradually over time we're building a relationship with the same guy who sits on the desk. Um, uh, making a point of when, when we're putting the bin out, chatting to the neighbour over the road, and, and, and just seeing what the Lord does with that deliberate looking to build contact with people that we come across regularly. Yeah. And I, I don't know what others think. It, it seems to me actually for many people you don't have to scratch very much uh, to, to kind of see that underneath there are lots of people who are really quite broken uh, and whose lives are actually a mess. And I, it seems to me, I, I think that's becoming more and more so. Um, which perhaps I think feeds into your question, Megan, or your, your comment. Actually, even people who on the face of it have quite a respectable life, when you get beneath the surface, there is lots of rubbish. Can you give us just some practical advice on how I can remind 
very much indeed, Ben. Uh, so that, uh, that one of the first questions from the passage is, is do we see ourselves as people who need a doctor? And then how do we continue to kind of keep that in the forefront of our mind? That, that um, even after many years of being a Christian, we, we still need our, our people who, who need Jesus. Um, that, that there is always a temptation for us to, to look horizontally and to compare ourselves with other people. Uh, and if we do compare ourselves with other people, it may be that we're able to congratulate ourselves and pat ourselves on the back and say, uh, thank you, Lord, but I'm not like them. I, I, it seems to me the answer is to keep looking at Jesus. And actually, the more I see him it, in all his... Uh, the, the more I see him as he really is, the more I'm struck that I'm, I'm not like that. Even after many years in the Christian life, because I, I see him as a man of absolute integrity, a, a man who is full of love and grace, a man who uh, full of truth, uh, a man who is uh, holy and godly, and yet is known as a friend of sinners and tax collectors. I am put to shame. Um, as long as I look horizontally. I might be able to persuade myself that I'm okay, might be. But actually, as I look vertically and, and, and see Jesus and compare myself with him, uh, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. And I, I, I think that, um, that God's Word gives us all sorts of little um, health checks that expose our sinfulness. So it's interesting that if you were looking at this same incident in Matthew's Gospel, uh, it comes after Jesus has given the Sermon on the Mount, um, a couple of chapters later. And uh, if, you, if you use the Sermon on the Mount as a kind of health check for your Christian life, you, you again and again, you, you just can't help but think how, how badly short you come up, how far short you, you fall of the, the required standard. Um, again, so we're looking basically not horizontally. Thank you. Anything else? Um, just to add to, to that, um, a verse that comes to my mind is Romans 3.23. Yeah. Which says that all have sinned. Yeah. All have sinned. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. We, we Christians, if we're a Christian, we, we ought to be the most humble of people. We, we ought to be people who are daily reminded of our sin. Reminded of how uh, far short we fall, who, who in no way look down on other people, but, but actually recognise that there but for the grace of God go I. And were it not for the Lord Jesus, I would still be living, as we're about to sing in a moment, my hell bound grace. But that would be me. And actually, it's only His grace that means it's not me. And, and that ought to both profoundly humble us and give us this wonderful sense of confidence that we don't have to earn his love and his acceptance because Jesus gives it to us. Uh, we, we ought to be the most humble people. Around. Um, one of the things I've started doing in my, um, in my daily Bible reading is, is looking for three A's. Um, uh, something that I, as I read through, the, read a bit of the Bible that I'm reading today, uh, uh, an A, and a, something that I can adore God for. 
So it might be here that I can adore God, that, uh, that Jesus came for uh, sinners, not the righteous. Uh, and I think how wonderful it is that Jesus came for someone like me. Uh, admit that actually, uh, so adore, admit, admit that I am a person who needs a doctor daily, that actually I'm not like Jesus, that I find it so much easier to spend time with people like me, people who fit into my, who just, who, who I feel comfortable around. And then aspire, something that I aspire to in the Christian life, something that I, I long to change. And it might be here that sense of a compassion for those who need the grace of God. Uh, I, I find that maybe helpful as well in uh, something to adore God for, something to admit about myself, something to aspire to. That's not why I'm addicted from somewhere. Should we sing? We're good to sing. I like singing. Uh, we're going to sing a 